0: This is Case Closed, crime stories from the golden age of radio. Welcome back to Case Closed, your weekly hour of old-time radio crime, which you can find every Wednesday at relicradio.com. Our first story this week comes from Jeff Regan, investigator. We'll hear No Sad Clown for Me, This story from June 25th, 1950. After that, it's Barry Craig, confidential investigator and ghost of a chance. His story from December 19th, 1951.
1: My name's Regan. I work for Anthony J. Lyon, Detective Bureau. They call me the Lion's Eye.
0: Sunday at 8.30 and CBS brings you Jeff Regan, Investigator, starring Frank Graham as Regan with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. So stand by for mystery and suspense and adventure in tonight's transcribed story, No Sad Clowns for Me.
1: There was a tall clown and a short clown juggling this one plus a sleek but over destroyer named Ruth that wore tights and trained tigers. All parts of a big circus playing a small town of 649 people. And somewhere along the midway, a joker wanted to cut me down to size. Six-foot box size. I wasn't thinking about the circus when I went to the detective bureau Wednesday morning, but my boss was. The lion was up to his knuckles in... Green, my boy. I've just about decided to have our whole office done
2: over in green.
1: Why the sea of one dollar bills?
2: Client, my boy,
1: with payment in advance. Those bills look like they've been paper in a rat's nest. They're all in pieces, my boy, but they're good. You'd know. Of
2: course. Notice when I hold this one against this 300-watt light, the paper's made with silk threads. Fitting the torn bills together, they come to $67, Jeffrey.
1: And the client is... See this canvas bag? Bottle top is full of nickels, dimes, and
2: quarters, Jeffrey. With the $1 bills, it makes a very nice retainer of $75.
1: For which we do what? Nothing. Now, wait a minute, fatso. You mean a client walked in here, laid down 75 bucks to hire us to do nothing? Exactly. Duck, there's a curve on this pitch. No, oh, no, my boy. The whole thing's perfectly legitimate. Our client walked in about an hour ago. Description?
2: Uh, well, he was a tall man. Eccentric. Go on. Uh, 45 or 50 years old, long, pale, stringy, yellowish hair, like an actor, and oddly dressed.
1: This keeps getting better.
2: Well, he had on a single-breasted pinstripe suit and tennis sneakers, a rope for a belt. Does he fly? Uh, Huh? What? Uh, uh, No, no. Uh, Anyway, Jeffrey, he put the money down, he saw I was worried about the small denominations, and then he said, it's not brass. Uh, Just like that. It's not brass. It's circus expression, my boy. Then he leaned right over this desk and said slowly, showing his big teeth, Jeffrey, when a little old man named Crackley comes in, don't take his case.
1: And you went for that? Of course. We do nothing, no trouble at all. Lion, it could be we're in trouble. Give me our client's name and address and the retainer. I'll take it back. Well, uh, unfortunately... Don't tell me. You didn't get the name and address. <coughs> well, you see, my boy, he was in a great you hurry. You gave him a receipt for the 75? Oh, of course. Everything very business That ties us into the case, but good. Now, no matter what happens, we're mixed up in it. You're borrowing trouble. We bought it. Oh, relax, my boy. We've got to get that receipt. Forget it. Just be grateful. Okay, Lion. But if Crackley shows up, be careful. I turned and started for the door. I knew client was a crank. We'd have to be more than careful. But I couldn't dump the trouble into the lion's lap. I slammed the door on my way out. The noise made a little old guy jump. He was standing in the hall just outside our door. It wasn't hard to figure who he was.
3: Crackley? Yeah, you, you know my name?
1: Oh, I do now. You're on your way into the lion detective bureau. Uh, yes. I'm Regan. The lion's eye? That's what they call me.
3: Uh, you're the man I came here to see. You were highly recommended.
1: I'd uh, like to talk to you, Crackly. Crackley? I know a place they'll let us sit down for 50 cents.
3: Yeah, I could
1: use a drink. I thought maybe. We went to Dugan's bar. Crackley was a little guy, but smart, almost sharp. He had an outdoor face, tanned with deep wrinkles like closed eyes in his forehead. Like he had a lot on his mind, and he wanted to talk.
3: Uh, I'm the owner of a circus, Mr. Higgin. Ah, congratulations. Well, you don't understand. I don't know if you can imagine the responsibilities of a circus owner. To his employees, I mean. They're all specialists. And if we were to close up and go out of business, why, there'd be no place for them to go. Except another circus. Oh, circus business has fallen off since the war years, Mr. Egan. Well, I hadn't heard. Uh, business is terrible. Oh, yeah, sure. Another drink, gentlemen? Uh, no, uh, thanks. No, uh, I don't. So. Now, uh... Why did you come to the Lion Detective Bureau? I I want you to find a man named Bliss. Why? Well, Bliss has been uh, investing in my circus. Putting money into a losing proposition? Oh, it's not unusual. People that love the circus, especially wealthy people, enjoy putting their money into things that give them pleasure. Bliss is missing? For the last three weeks.
1: And the money has stopped coming into the circus?
3: Well, yes, Mr. Egan. When did you last see Bliss? The fact is, I've never seen Bliss. But he puts money into your circus? Through his lawyer. Right now, we're playing Bliss's hometown. I'd hope to meet him in person. Yeah.
1: Uh, what would you say, Mr. Crackley, if I told you a strange man came into our bureau this morning and paid us not to take your case?
3: Well, someone's following me?
1: Well, I don't know, but... Yeah... Yeah, Mr. Crackley, someone's following you. Uh, uh,
3: Mr. Egan, uh, what are you looking at? You mean, what is it looking at us? But where... Stay put, I'll be right back.
1: I ran to the window. The face that had been peering in at us whipped out of sight. A couple of winos in Dugan's door cost me two or three seconds getting out, and that was enough. When I got to the street, it was empty. The man with the long, stringy, yellowish hair who'd been watching us was gone. I went back into the bar. That's when I got a second surprise. Crackley was gone, too. A quick call to Billboard gave me what I needed. The Crackley Great Combined Circus was playing a town of 650 people, a place called Crossroads in the foothills, about a two-hour drive from L.A. The crank with the yellow hair on the rope belt was somehow tied up with that Crackley Circus. Yellow hair had the Lions' signed receipt. I had to get it back. So I got into my car and headed for Crossroads. And when I got there... Funny thing, the town was deserted, but the circus Midway was jammed. It looked like Crossroads whole 649 population was at that circus.
4: Hot dogs, hot puppies, they're delicious, they're nutritious. Step up and get one. How much? Eh? A hot dog, how much? Oh, yeah, hot dog. Hey, you mean you're going to buy one? Why not? Nobody buys nothing in this cheap burg.
1: Business looks pretty good to me. Everybody in town here at the circus.
4: Don't cost them nothing. Oh, no? Old Crackley's putting on a show for nothing. Making it look good for Bliss, uh, his silent partner.
1: The show's papered then. Annie Oakley's for free, huh?
4: Say, you Bliss?
1: And if I am?
4: I ain't said nothing.
1: Yeah. How much for the hot dog?
4: Uh, two bits.
1: I paid for the hot dog, walked along the midway asking questions wherever I could get an answer. It's like the dog peddler had said. Crackly had papered the house, bought tickets for everyone in town, to guarantee business. We weren't supposed to take the case, but the situation was interesting, and I got to wondering about Bliss, how he fitted in. But then I remembered I was here to get our receipt back, so I bypassed the midway, walked around to the performers' tents. No gaudy signs here, no freak shows, palmists or ballet, and I found a woman, a rather. She found me. Regan? Huh. Nice to be known.
5: This is my tent, Mr. Regan. Please come in.
1: She was tall, slim. You could spend time watching her. Young, but uh, not too young. Her hair was long and black, almost to the roots. Her face was firm, beautiful, but her eyes had already been there and back. Then we were in her tent. Nobody around except the tigers just outside. And she got mirror. And I could see more. Regan. Nice tent.
5: I got a message. Uh huh. Go home.
1: That's your message?
5: Go back to LA, Crackley says.
1: You a friend of Crackley's?
5: He saw you in the midway. He said, that's Regan. That's the lion's eye from LA that ought to go home. You're
1: sure it wasn't Bliss. You know Bliss? Oh, yeah, a very close personal friend of mine.
5: You're clever, Regan.
1: It's my business.
5: Make sure your business doesn't get you into trouble.
1: Hey, that tiger's close.
5: Yeah, I work the big cats. They hate me, and I hate them. I like them kept near me. Gives me a chance to whip them through the bars whenever I'm feeling blue. Lady. Yeah?
1: What's your name?
5: I got a surprise for you, Mr. Regan. I've
1: had lots today.
5: My name's Crackley.
1: You're married to old Crackley, the circus owner?
5: I married his son, Mr. Regan. His son? Yeah, George Crackley. The little runt that's standing in back of you.
1: I turned. George was there, all right. And he was little, maybe four feet ten inches tall, wearing a clown suit. His face was in queer makeup, chalk white, bruised blue. He was supposed to look like a sad clown. And he was.
0: What are you doing around
1: here? Looking for a man. She looked like a man? No. You're after my wife, too. You were standing real close.
5: Guys, fall in love with me, Regan. My husband's a poor sport about it.
3: Oh,
4: make sure you don't wake up dead, mister. Make sure you don't get dropped on. I'll be real careful.
3: George, if you don't get out of here... Ruth, I'll...
4: don't you think it's time you were getting into your costume? The walk-around will
3: begin in four or five minutes.
1: A tall clown filled the opening to the tent. When he spoke, Ruth began fumbling with a costume. Little George looked like he was going to cry, then walked out of the tent without a word. Ruth followed him. And I was left alone with a tall clown, in makeup, with a red watermelon mouth and cold blue eyes.
3: I hated to interrupt, Mr. Regan, but Ruth must dress for the walk-around, as we of the circus call our opening parade. Um, you seem to have an effect on George,
6: too. Oh,
3: George and I are partners. He's the sad, bruised clown, and I am the cruel clown. I frightened him, mauled him, beat and bruised him with various objects, It amuses people. (laughs) Naturally. (laughs) We're all sadists at heart.
1: (laughs) Maybe you can help me.
4: Uh,
3: I'll try.
1: I'm looking for a tall, eccentric man. Wears tennis shoes, rope for a belt. (laughs) Has long, stringy, yellowish hair, you know. (laughs) Oh,
3: I said, do you know him? (laughs) Of course. That would be Mr. Bliss. Where can I find him? As a matter of fact, Mr. Regan, I have a message from Mr. Bliss. He wants to see you. Oh? Who will I say sent me? Just the cruel clown He'll know who you mean. Where do I meet, Bliss? At his home. I'll tell you how to get there.
1: He did. I got into my car and started the drive to his shack. I'd meet him on his own terms at his place. It was a 15-minute drive, most of the way up a side road. I was almost there when a car pulled into the side road behind me, coming up fast, its headlights growing in my rearview mirror. I pulled over to let the speedball pass. He began to cut in on me. The trailer he had hitched on sideswiped me. I felt myself go against the steering post. Then I didn't feel anything for a long time. I'd been thrown clear of my car. When I came to the... There was a huge man standing over me, black in the moonlight. My gun was gone. My hand caught at a club, and then I saw it wasn't a club, but a small, very small chair arm. It must have fallen from the trailer. The trailer was gone. The man started moving in.
4: Well, sweetheart. Stand back. Coming to, sweetheart. Get back. I got your gun, baby. I'm Logan, Chief of Police at Crossroads. Maybe I ought to take you into custody for reckless driving. Logan, I. I'm a
1: private detective from Los Angeles.
4: Well, why don't you get up from the ground and tell me about it? Here. <clears throat> yeah,
1: thanks. <clears throat> Somebody ran me off the road on purpose. And I think I know who. That's so, sweetheart. That's not all. There's something phony about that circus play in your town.
4: <laughs> Ain't no circus around here.
1: You're real funny.
4: Fact is, I'll make you a bit, baby. You can't show me no circus around these parts. You seem sure of that. Give you 20 to 1. Let's go take a look. All right.
1: We drove in his car to the circus lot. When we got there, we saw the lot was full of color. All of it moonlight. Vacant. Not a candy wrapper. The crackly great combined circus was gone, as though it had never existed.
0: This is CBS, and you are listening to No Sad Clowns for Me. Tonight's adventure with Jeff Regan, investigator.
1: It started bad, and it got worse. Lyon lion had us balled up in it like a cat in a fish line before I even heard of the case. Then I took over. I did fine. Trying to get our receipt for $75 back, I got myself run off the road near the town of Crossroads, got my car smashed up, and the chief of police told me that the crackly Great Combined Circus, where I'd spent an hour, wasn't there. And it wasn't. The chief of police thought this was real funny. <laughs> Where'd the circus go? Sweetheart? L.A., probably. You're kind of slick. Couldn't have been gone more than an hour. Look at those filled-in post holes.
4: You're a real bright fella.
1: And I know why it left in such a hurry. Oh, you
4: city fellas are real sharp-like.
1: The circus left because of a guy named Bliss. Uh,
4: what do you know about Bliss.
1: Bliss was putting money into a circus, not taking any out. Keep talking. Bliss gets tired of this, slaps an attachment on the circus, crackly pulled the show out before it could be served.
4: Yeah, you're real smart. You'd better come along with me, sweetheart. We have, uh... Better have a little, uh... Uh, talkie.
1: It hit the bullseye, and I got more than I bargained for. It seems Bliss had no friends, except Logan, who, being the local legal eagle, was also appointed by Bliss as his lawyer, having full power of attorney. Now Logan was ready to talk.
4: Bliss, now, he... He ain't no dummy. He was in the circus himself years ago... Before I get wise and made a lot of dough in uh, plumbing fixtures. (laughs) Ain't no money in show business, uh, sweetheart. They tell me. Now, Bliss, he ain't old, but he's kind of funny. All of a sudden, he wants to...
1: Invest in a circus. (laughs) His old love. But he also wants to make some money out of it.
4: Oh, Bliss, he likes money. (laughs) He married a circus cow years ago. (laughs) Left her because she was draining away his salary. <laughs>
1: How much money did Bliss put into the Crackley Circus?
4: Well, baby, uh, Bliss bought in deep enough to own, oh, 49% of the show.
1: Bliss isn't getting any money out of his investment, so he slaps an attachment on the show. Crackley gets wind of it, pulls the show out.
4: You were right up to there, sweetheart.
1: Talk, Logan.
4: I got a note from Bliss, uh, just this afternoon. Told me to lift the attachment order. Always oh, was a real happy note.
1: Where's Bliss now?
4: Honest, baby, I don't know. He's queer. He's just
1: gone. Bliss skipped out on his wife. That can't be his real
4: name. Oh, no, I can't tell you much. promised Bliss who wouldn't, but his name used to be uh, Elmer C. Uh, Bickle. You got a phone, Logan? Uh, well, here you are, baby. But get the charges.
1: I was getting an idea. Another reason for the show's moving. One thing was sure. Bliss was in it up to his ears. It was two in the morning now, and I got the lion at home.
2: Yeah, Anthony J. Lion, Detective Bureau, Home Office. We never
1: sleep. And why haven't you been asleep? Uh,
2: oh, uh, Jeffrey. Well, well, I've had some very important work to do tonight. Such as? Uh, Oh, pasting those dollar bills together, if you must know. You're
1: graduating from kindergarten right now, Fatso. Get your car out. At this hour? I'm in Crossroads, California, slaving for the agency. And you can help. What can I do? Get all the stuff you can on a guy named Elmer C. Bickle. Bickle? Bickle. Oh. Joined the circus years ago. Married somebody. Left his wife. Check variety. That'll take all night, Jim. You've got one hour. Oh, another thing, Fatso. Check the theatrical hotels. Places where show people, circus people put up. Here's what we need. A line on anybody connected with the crackly, great Combine. I
4: can give you that, sweetheart. What? You what? I know where they probably hold in. Why, forget that last, but check Bickle.
1: I hung up, and Logan said he'd heard the performers in Crackley circus usually stayed at the Fossman Hotel in Los Angeles. So I called the Fossman Hotel. Oh, hello. The desk clerk sounded wide awake.
3: Fossman Hotel?
1: Has Mr. Crackly checked in?
7: Uh, who's asking?
1: Regan, private investigator.
7: Well, we certainly could have used a private investigator this morning. Why? Heavens, the circus came in without telling us. Everybody's so upset. We better make sure they pay in advance. Oh, well, Mr. Crackley paid everything in advance. He has a finest suite of rooms.
1: Uh, huh?
7: Uh, but there's such confusion. I-, I just don't know what to do.
1: You wouldn't. Now, uh, about Crackley.
7: Oh, uh, I'll ring. But he's probably
6: asleep anyway.
1: Uh, hello? Crackley, this is Jeff Regan. Oh, Regan. Why did you run away? Uh, I
3: don't know. Uh, well, I mean, we had to leave because we were so low on funds that the sheriff's office was going to attach the show. We heard of the order and left town to leave their jurisdiction. Yeah,
1: yeah, sure. Well, the worries are over, Crackley. I've found bliss for you. Bickle, too. Oh,
3: no, it's impossible. What
1: well, I mean... If... Yeah, I know what you mean. It hit me. The circus was making money. Crackley had paid his hotel bill in advance. Fine suite of rooms. Well, he'd probably been keeping a double set of books cheating bliss. I got Logan, got in his car, and drove back to the deserted circus lot. We drove fast. The circus had pulled out in the middle of the night for another reason. And I knew now we'd better look for that reason. The lot was deserted. Low, cold mist over the ground. Gray morning. A small animal moved through the mist like a creature from another world. A small dog. He'd found what we couldn't see. He had something in his mouth a cap with a red pom pom on its pointed end. A clown's cap, stained with blood. Logan had men digging within minutes. One of the filled post holes seemed larger than the rest. This was it.
4: We uh, found him, Mr. Regan.
1: Yeah. Uh, let me see his face.
4: Yeah. Kind of muddy. Still in makeup. Tall, cruel clown. You know
1: him? Yeah. You too. Pull the skull cap off. Oh, poor, poor Mr... Bickle, alias Bliss. Long, stringy, yellowish hair like an actor. Only isn't playing at being dead. Come on, Logan. Keys to your car. I've got an appointment at the Fossman Hotel. I took Logan's car, made the two-hour trip back to L.A. I phoned the lion as soon as I hit town. I got the complete rundown on Bickle. Then I went to the Fossman Hotel. I asked the room clerk for old Crackley's room number. It was 203. I didn't wait to be announced. You should lock your door, Crackley. You could get company you might not enjoy. Well, I,
3: I've, been, I've been waiting for you. I know
1: why you pulled out of Crossroads so fast last night, Crackley. Well, I, I don't know anything. I found Bliss. I'm
3: not interested in Bliss anymore. Then was... maybe
1: you're interested in Bickle, the tall clown. Now, now
3: please, Mr. Reed. Bliss and joined I... the
1: circus under his real name, Bickle, to check up on his investment. The,
3: the tall clown was, was Bliss?
1: Yeah. He was eccentric, but not eccentric enough to throw his money away. But he got more than he bargained no, for. No, no,
3: please, now uh, leave me alone. He's I... dead, Crackley. Dead. dead.
1: Yes, dead. You pulled out of Crossroads last night because a man was killed and buried there on the lot. But I
3: didn't kill him. But you know who
1: did? No, no. I had the lion check on Bickle. It seems he married our Ruth Sandusky in Chicago, April 18th, 1930. Now Ruth Sandusky was only a kid then, featured in an animal act.
3: My son George married her in good faith, Mr. Regan. I was against the marriage. Where's but, George now? But I, I can't tell you.
1: I left him in the Mackley suite of rooms, checked the front desk for George's room. I was told he lived in his own small trailer. That when he was in town, he always parked it down by the circus warehouse. That's where I headed. The Circus Warehouse was down by the tracks It was a raw wood building that had fallen in on its bones Most of the circus trucks had unloaded Things were pretty quiet I got out of the car, walked around The rear of the warehouse was parked a small trailer Beat up The one that had forced me off the highway Near crossroads Inside I found Ruth Ruth Sandusky Regan. Married Elmer C. Bickle in Chicago, April 18th, 1930.
5: You're a real bright eye.
1: You kind of like being married, don't you, Ruth? So much you get married twice.
5: Girl needs a man. With money. Bickle ran away from me the week we played Chillicothe. The only way I knew he was alive, he used to put crazy ads in the trades every Christmas.
1: You'll be sitting pretty when old man Crackley dies and George inherits the circus. Oh.
5: I try not to think of such things Bickle
1: joined the circus three weeks ago He recognized you, wanted you again Moved in on George The thing is, you were still married to Bickle You'd kind of overlooked getting a divorce Which meant you weren't legally married to George Meaning you had no future claim on the circus uh,
5: You won't tell George I'll make it worth your while, Mr. Reagan
1: Trouble is, lady, George saw Bickle The new clown moving in on him And easily, too You were afraid to hold Bickle off, afraid he might yell, bigamy Real cozy for you, Ruth Both husbands, clowns in the same act. You better stop talking, Mr. Regan. George had to move out of your tent, sleep in his trailer. He was crazy jealous. That's why he tried to finish me by driving me off the road. He thought I was moving in, too. Stop
5: it while you still got the chance.
1: Bickle said, come back to me or I yelled bigamy, and you killed him. Stop it! Only one thing, lady. You didn't know that Bickle and Bliss were the same man. Bliss? Yeah, the angel. The guy that was pouring all that money into the circus.
5: Bickle was Bliss. (laughs) I'm still married to him, legally.
1: That's almost right.
5: Yeah. Yes, it was bigamy. What do I want with George now as the wife of Bliss or whatever he called himself now? I'll inherit all his dough.
1: <laughs> you killed Bliss. What?
5: Crackley thinks his son did it. <laughs> George, you'll go to the gas chamber for me. I'm a bigamist, Mr. Regan, so give me two
0: years. No, Ruth, no. No, you won't get rid of me that easy. George. I heard what you
1: said. Little George, the sad, bruised clown, stood in the doorway of a small trailer. It was like he didn't see me, only Ruth, his almost wife.
4: But he'd heard plenty. I thought you killed him because he was molesting you. Shut up, George. I thought you killed him because you loved me. You
3: stay away from me, George.
1: Ruth ran out of the trailer, followed by George. He slammed the door to hold me back. I got the door open just in time to see little George slip into the circus warehouse. I ran after them fast. Inside the warehouse, it was dim. There was the sharp smell of circus animals. Little George was flexing his muscles for the first time in his life.
4: I won't let him get you. I'll take you from the gas chamber. A superhuman
1: strength had come into him. He had Ruth by the hair and was forcing her into an animal cage. The tiger was crouched in the corner of the cage, ready to jump. I grabbed both George and Ruth by the hair and pulled them back. I kicked the cage shut.
2: Why
1: didn't you let me finish? Sorry, George. The state will want witnesses when Ruth finishes her act. In the gas chamber. And wound it up. I call Sanducci of homicide. When they came to take Ruth away, I... I saw little George, the fall guy... Standing near his trailer. All alone. Two hours later, I checked in with a lion at the office.
2: We're in the money. We're in the money. Still at the paste <laughs> pot, lion? Oh, yes, my boy. I've just finished pacing the last bill together. The silk threads match perfectly. <laughs> nice, uh, neat job. Oh, Jeffrey, <laughs> you just don't know how hard I work for our future.
1: Uh huh. Bank should take these all right. Now, I slaved all right, my boy. The only thing. Uh, Money doesn't belong to us. Yeah, I think I'll just press the bill so the bank will be sure What? Money isn't ours. But, uh, be, uh, what do you mean? I got a call from Logan. Says he found your receipt in the Bliss Shack. I had to tell him we got the $75 to keep us from taking the case. Oh. So the Bliss Estate demands its money back. It's all your fault, Jeffrey. Yeah, I guess maybe... If you
2: hadn't opened well, your... Well,
1: I box. guess I'll just have to keep this 100 yeah. Uh. Well, what that you have? $100 bill. Got two more, just like it. Jeffrey! But who... Oh, Crackley gave it to me. Well... Yeah. He thought his son George had killed Bickle. When we proved it was Ruth, he gave it. Oh, how could I have ever doubted you, Jeffrey? Oh, uh, uh, another thing, Lion. Yes? Meant to tell you, those bills you pasted together... Oh, I worked so hard over it. Well, them. the bank would have fitted the bills together for you.
2: Yes. Oh, no!
0: Jeff Regan, Investigator, is written by William Frug and Gilbert Thomas, directed by Sterling Tracy, and stars Frank Graham as Regan, with Frank Nelson as Anthony J. Lyon. Original music is by Dick Arant. Jeff Regan, Investigator, is transcribed each week at the same time over CBS. Bob Stevenson speaking and inviting you to be with us again next Sunday at 8.30 for more suspense and mystery and adventure with Jeff Regan, Investigator. This
1: is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs>
0: William Gargan stars as Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
8: There's a place somewhere, folks, away from the hurly burly, where everything is slow and easy, and you can sleep around the clock without being
6: heckled. I could be referring to a cemetery. <laughs>
0: The National Broadcasting Company presents William Gargan in another transcribed drama of mystery and adventure with America's number one detective, Barry Craig, confidential investigator.
8: Craig speaking. On call like I am, as a confidential investigator, the open door, come one, come all, you don't always get cases that run according to Hoyle. Every once in a while, you catch yourself a Lulu, a case that puts a strain on your imagination. A case, say, in the category of a spookaroo, (laughs) you find yourself hobnobbing with ghosts and talking turkey to the dead. One like that began for me in the New York office of the Trans-Southern Insurance Company of Omaha. I've been urgently requested to come calling, please, by a claims agent named Brenahan, Roy C. Brenahan.
7: I'll explain the assignment we have for you, Craig.
8: Before you do, answer me this. What's with your regular investigators?
7: Why pull an outsider in? Well, we want this investigated unofficially. Mm. We, we don't want to stir up anything that will expose us to a libel suit. I catch... In case you're pulling a boner that's abut, uh,
8: harassing innocent people. Yes. What's the story?
7: Our file number, 15466. Uh, double indemnity case, now officially closed. We paid out $50,000 to the widow of a subway accident victim named Remo Torch. This was 90 days ago. So? And I'll play you a recording I secretly made of an anonymous telephone call I was party to yesterday. Now listen carefully, Craig.
6: Hello. Hello, Mr. Roy Brenahan, please. This is Roy Brenahan speaking. I've got some information for you. Yes? Your company paid a $50,000 claim to a Mrs. Remo Torch three months ago. You remember it? Of course, sir. Uh, a Remo Torch fell to his death off a subway platform. What about it? The claim was a fraud. It wasn't Remo Torch who fell under a train. But his widow identified the body. The identification was false. Uh, who are you? A friend. Goodbye. Uh, Mr. Wait,
7: don't hang up. Identify yourself and there's a bonus. But uh, my anonymous caller hung up, Craig, without identifying himself. I thought about it overnight,
8: and today I called you in. Oh, it could be a crank call, or an envious relative with a weird sense of humor. You must get a thousand crackpot telephone calls. Yes, we do.
7: We can't ignore them. Even if there's the smallest possibility of... of... recovering a paid-out claim.
8: Yeah, I've heard about the insurance claims agents, the fanatical watchdogs you fellows get to be... You're hoping and praying I turn up a scheming widow and proof that a third party was pushed off that subway platform and the corpse palmed off on you as remote torch.
7: Handle this delicately as if we have nothing to
8: do with it. Like it's a case of your own. I can't be too delicate about exhuming a body. I need to get a court order for that. So do you want to get yourself another boy? No, I'll stick with you, Craig. Or be stuck with me. Ten mm. percent, Branahan. Any monies I recover for good old Trans-Southern, earmark 10% for Barry Craig. While waiting for red tape to unravel on the court order for exhumation of a corpse, I went to see the scheming widow. 169 Seneca Street was her last known address. the street where the drunks outnumbered everybody else. I ran into a very curious development at 169 Seneca. No widow torch. A janitor who looked like his mind wandered explained the widow's absence.
3: Widow Torch is dead.
8: A dead policy holder and a dead, though rich, beneficiary. I had quite a cast of live suspects. The next evening, I drove myself to the Hillcrest Cemetery on Sycamore Street out in Long Island, where the mangled remains of Remo Torch had been buried. I had a signed court order okaying exhumation to serve on the caretaker there, an old geezer named Sam Billings. Going through the big iron gate, I heard the night chimes. Night is a nice time to go calling on a graveyard if you hate yourself. Every superstition you had as a kid comes back to haunt you. You begin to see things, you hear things. Going up a narrow path toward the caretaker's house, I heard things. A scream as if somebody was being murdered not 50 yards away. I got to the scream. It was the old caretaker billings on the ground near an open grave and a dead faint. <laughs> Taker came too, eyed as if he'd seen the devil and clawing at me as if no. I was the devil.
3: No. Quit it, Billings. No. no, go away.
8: Keep choking no. me and I'll have to flatten you. I'm Barry Craig, a confidential investigator now concentrating on insurance. Now, if you can collect your wits, old man. You're an investigator. Who'd you think I was?
3: Him. Him? Who? isn't dead. Makes sense, old man. I was making my rounds like every night when I heard a noise. No, noise I'll never forget if I live to be a hundred.
8: The odds are away against you, the hypertension you've got.
3: I turned to look, bringing my light close. And it was the lid of a coffin coming off, as if by itself.
8: Neatest trick of the century. And then what happened?
3: I live to be a... 100 We've already
8: been through that.
3: Then the dead man got up and stood there, alive as you're standing here, all green under the moon.
8: How does the rest of the hallucination go?
3: I... Watched him go off, not making a sound, and walking in a funny little hop. And then... You
8: screamed and fainted dead away. The next thing you knew, you had your fingernails in my neck. Now get your bearings and throw a light on that coffin. I want to have a look.
3: See, the casket is empty.
8: Empty it is. So a stiff came to, forced the lid open, turned green under the moon, and then went on the town.
3: It's something to believe, but... I saw it with my own eyes. With
8: that 20-20 vision you don't have, did you also see who dug him up? Dug him up? That's what I asked, if you'll really open your eyes. Six feet of dirt piled in two neat hills on both sides of the grave. See it? Uh, Yes. To get out from under, your stiff needed a muscular accomplice on the outside. Who was supposed to be buried in that grave? I can't make out the name on the tombstone.
3: Torch. Remote Torch.
8: case was coming to life, but literally. I left caretaker Billings to sleep off his jitters and got into my car. Driving down tree-shaded Sycamore Street, my headlights picked up a character moving along the sidewalk in a funny little hop. A funny little hop were exactly the words the caretaker had used describing his stiff who'd come alive. My man on the sidewalk was loping along like that, a kind of hop, skip, like a guy who had no control over his reflexes. I switched from brights to dims, slowed the car down to a crawl, and trailed him into a tavern, a big neon sign advertised as Bond Stable Inn. I went in after him. My man wasn't after eats or bottle goods. He was out to make a phone call. I watched him thumb through a directory, then get into a booth. As soon as it was safe, I eased into the adjourning booth to hear what I could hear.
6: I must see you. At once, tonight. Well, you must come. In Burnside Park, near the fountain. I'll be there waiting for you.
8: I watched him start for the open door of the tavern. I checked the phone directory where he'd left it open and read off the name where his fingernail had left a line under it. Mrs. Verna Talbot, it said. 2580 Merrydale Drive. <laughs> a guy risen from the dead was dating a woman. I was right there in Burnside Park in a grandstand seat behind a row of bushes when they met. My man was hanging off to his side as if he wasn't really meeting the woman, but ambushing her. I could hear her high heels clicking toward him.
6: Hello, Mary.
9: Mary? You're calling me Mary? Yes. You're not who you said you were on the telephone.
6: No, I'm not. It was a ruse to get you to come. I'll come out of the shadows so you can see my face. Well?
9: Your face is chalk.
6: It's a dead face.
9: And your eyes.
6: They're dead eyes, Mary. I've been dead, but I've come back. I've come back to claim you, Mary. Mary, my wife. You're insane. Ah. I'm not your
9: Mary or your wife. I don't even know you. Let me go. Help.
7: He wasn't
8: just claiming her. He was strangling her. I got busy. Let go of her, mister. Suppose we postpone introductions for later. Ah. (laughs) Oh. He might have been risen from the dead, but he reacted to the old one, too, like anybody else. He was out cold, stiff, like Grigor Mortis had come back. While he slept it off, I revived the dame and questioned her. I'm Barry Craig, an investigator, madam. I'd like a few honest facts and no ad-libbing. Remember, I probably just saved your life.
9: I'm grateful. The man is insane.
8: You acted as if you didn't know him.
9: I never saw him before in my life.
8: He's allegedly a Remo Torch.
9: He said he'd come back from the dead.
8: So far as we know right now, could be. If you don't know the man at all, why did you agree to meet him here?
9: He telephoned me and said he was Tom Avery. I've known a Tom
8: Avery. Your name is Mrs. Verna Talbot?
9: Why, yes. How did you know?
8: Never mind how. You live with your husband?
9: Yes, I do. I do. But he mustn't know I came here to meet Tom Avery.
8: Jealous? Yes.
9: We get along badly, my husband and I. We're together, but we live separate lives. Oh. May I please go now?
8: Sure. I don't see why not. I watched her melt into the night, half mink, half woman. Then I sat down to rest up take stock and wait. (laughs) I'd sure find myself a bright way of making a living. There I was in a public park at 2 a.m., waiting for a corpse to rise for the second time in one night, this time out of dreamland. Remo Torch, or whoever he really was, slowly came out of the dreamland I'd rocked him into. Get up on his feet, rubbing his jaw where I'd clipped him. With a wild gleam in his eye and his teeth showing as if he were getting set to jump me, I threw a gun on him fast. Don't try anything, Torch, or I'll prove to you that dead men bleed. Gonna do what I say, nice and cooperatively? I'll do
6: what you say.
8: My car's outside the park. We'll get into it and drive to my apartment. To
6: your apartment?
8: For a heart-to-heart talk. Shake your head and I turn you over to the cops. It's all a choice you've got right now, me or the cops. I'll go with you. I got him home with me okay and put him to bed. When he fell asleep, I handcuffed him to the bed and tied his feet. Then I showered and waited for daylight in a good morning chat with Lieutenant Trev Rogers at Willie's coffee pot. I don't get half of what you've told me, Craig. Half's enough to hold you for now. Feed ghost stories to little boys a spoonful at a time, an old teacher of mine used to say. Just you run down a few items, I asked, huh, pal? You want me to find out when a Mary Torch died? And who signed the death certificate, and where was she buried? Call me in a minute, you know. Uh, Craig. Yeah? Being your blind helper... Just how did I get so degraded? (laughs) The coffee's my treat. Have yourself a second cup, chum. Torch was wide awake when I got back from Trav Rogers. I untied his feet but kept the
6: handcuffs on.
8: All recovered from your busy night, Torch?
6: What do you want with me? I'll settle for the story of your life. I can only remember the story of my death. I died August 28, 1951.
8: Okay, I'll play straight, man. Go ahead and tell me the story of your death.
6: My last day alive was a Friday. After breakfast, I left home and... my wife, Mary, to take a subway train downtown. In the subway, the express platform was crowded, as it always was. But waiting for my train... I could feel one man closest to me. Why this one man? He went everywhere I went. What did he look like? Seeing him was like looking into a mirror and seeing myself. He uh, resembled you? This man who was always behind me was a man with my face. Oh, go on. He was behind me, this man with my face. A train was coming in. I heard its warning sound, and then I saw it come at me, hissing like an iron dragon with enormous eyes that held me spellbound. I tried to push back, but hands threw me forward, forward into the jaws of the iron dragon. No! That's how I died August 28th, three months ago. You don't believe the story of my death? When I do,
8: peddle me to Bellevue. That's how you were supposed to have died August the 28th last. That's the phony story in the Trans-Southern insurance files. You were supposed to have died like that, Torch, only you didn't. Somebody else did.
6: Somebody else did?
8: Yeah. The patsy whose remains were identified as Remo Torch. The poor devil who was really in that coffin you supposedly stepped out of last night. Excuse me. Barry Craig speaking.
7: Barry, this is Tramp Rogers. Mary Torch died a month ago, a heart attack. And Eric Carter signed the death certificate. She was buried in Hillcrest Cemetery like her husband before her.
8: I got it. Thanks, Trav.
7: Can I be of any
3: further service to you?
8: Yeah, you can. Send one of your boys over to my apartment. I've got a prize package I want under lock and key while I roam the world. (laughs) Had the graveyard habit. There I was again at Hillcrest Cemetery, waving another court order at old caretaker Billings. This time with the name Mary Torch spelled out on it. Old Billings read the court order, sneaking a little foolish grin at me as he read.
3: Here's to be an order, Mr. Craig.
8: Can you round up a couple of diggers right away? They can build Trans Southern for the labor.
3: It's easy to do.
8: For a guy hoodooed by the risen dead last night, you're looking mighty cheerful today. I'll bet a tombstone you solved the mystery of the empty coffin for yourself.
3: You're a discerning man, Mr. Craig.
8: You found a body somewhere. The body, the real Remo Torch, sneaked out of that coffin before he got into it. It's time for you to come along and get an eyeful. I'm right, huh?
3: You're right. And I'm a foolish old man.
8: Where'd you find the body that was buried as Remo Torch?
3: At twenty feet from where we're standing. Show me. Right here by those flower beds. It was very shallow. Flowers had been tramped on, and I went to investigate. I saw the dirt had been turned over fresh, and then I noticed a foot, a foot sticking. Cut!
8: Leave something to my imagination. Now go round up those diggers. The slab of marble read Mary Torch. Two beefy gents were digging her up. They wore a look on their kisses that said they'd just love to make an argument of it. They were the same team who'd buried the Mary Torch coffin only a month ago. To them, I was some creep on doing a work of art. Me and my court order. You've got the coffin exposed enough, men. Now use the crowbar on it. I soon got a look at the contents of the coffin.
3: No. Body, Mr. Craig. The casket's full.
8: Full is the word, Billings. Full of rocks. The answer to the rocks was obvious. Mary Torch's death was a phony and ditto a burial. I found out how it was maneuvered by an entry in the cemetery record book. It's
3: uh, the name of the undertaker you want?
8: Or whoever supervised the so-called burial.
3: Here it is. Mary Torch. And Eric Carter supervised the burial. Does the name mean something to you?
8: Does it? Eric Carter is the same joker who also signed the phony medical certificate. The great insurance swindle and how it was accomplished began to stitch into one piece. I had almost all the answers, enough answers anyhow, to parlay into a climax. Only somebody was working his own idea of a climax, a climax to Barry Craig. I'd left Hillcrest through the big iron gates for the drive back to Manhattan. I switched on the ignition. Good thing the cemetery was convenient... To all the fuss and bother out of my burial. Oh! The risen dead. I was getting a whack at the trick myself. I was dragging toward a light. A light no bigger than an arrowhead waiting for me somewhere at the end of a long sleep. And bells bells tolling morning. Morning, the bells were saying. And wake up, Craig. Wake up.
0: Craig. Look at me
8: And the voice, a face. The face of someone I'd seen around the Trev Rogers. How did you come to die, Trev? I didn't.
7: And neither did you, the miracle is. You're in Shore Park Hospital. In emergency. Huh. huh? A time bomb hooked to your starter cable. Step on the car starter and blow yourself up. A
8: gimmick with
7: whiskers. A long gray beard. It's an old murder device, moth-eaten, but they got you, Craig. How
8: bad am I?
7: You're one for Ripley. I'm
8: okay? Is that what you mean? Just lacerations of the head and neck. Shock. You're wearing more bandages than King Tut. You're also, minus an automobile. I'll build Trans Southern. trail get me out of here. I want Remo Torch back. As soon as I'm dressed, he and I are going bye-bye. I taxied Remo Torch across town to an address in my little black book, 2580 Meridale Drive. I'm reuniting you with the lady you made a scene over last night, Torch. Yes?
9: Yes? You.
8: Us. May we come in? But... You remember Remo Torch?
9: Well, yes, of course. After last night, could I forget?
8: I guess not. Especially since he only tried to strangle you. It'd be even harder to forget him if you were his wife.
9: His wife? I'm Verna Talbot. My husband is George Talbot, a manufacturer's representative.
8: Hooray for employment. Is your husband around? Yes. Introduce him to us.
9: Very well. George.
3: Yes, Werner. This is my husband, Mr. Craig. That's him. Oh. Him, Torch. Him, who? It's the man with my face. It's my murderer. My murderer. I'll get this madman off, torch. torch! No
8: more of that. Let go of him. My apologies for my friend's behavior, Talbot. It does seem to be a superficial resemblance between you. Same general features, sort of. Nonsense. This man's plainly insane. Insane like a fox. I'd say Torch has a pretty shrewd idea of what he's up to. I'd even say he was trying to drive a
7: couple of schemers crazy before the law
8: caught up with them.
7: I don't understand a thing you're saying, Mr... Uh... Craig. Craig. All Greek to you, huh? Suppose I spell it out and you
8: see if you get the drift. Torch's wife had him marked for murder. The lady wanted to cash in his insurance and then marry her boyfriend and Eric Carter. The boyfriend began following poor Torch around, waiting for a chance to knock him off. But Torch caught on to what was cooking and figured out a way of outsmarting the schemers. Drop the insanity post, Torch, and tell him how you did it.
6: I have hired an unemployed bit actor to wear my clothes and play at being me. You. The actor came down the steps of Torch's house every morning,
8: stopped at the same newsstand, then went into the subway to ride to his office, as Torch would. Am I right on that, Torch? Yeah. The device worked. You fell for it, Talbot, because you'd never actually met Remo Torch. Did you say I fell for it? I said just that. You pushed a stooge hired by Torch under that train. Madam here identified what was left of the stooge and collected her 50,000. But Torch was really alive and kicking all the time. How much does it take to coax a confession out of you, Mr. Eric Carter, alias Talbot, or
7: you, Mrs. Torch?
9: We're
7: caught, Eric. Are we, Mary? I rather think I have our little problem very much under control. Keep your hands as they are, Craig. No good, Carter. How
8: far do you think a gun's going to get you?
9: Oh, I told you we'd
2: lose, Eric. Stop whining, you
8: fool. Face it, Carter. The lady wants out. The way it's stacking, I'll bet she turns states evidence. Now drop that gun. Get back, Craig. I said drop it. Are you crazy fool, let go Mike. My...
4: Oh.
8: When you shoot somebody, Carter, be sure you keep possession of the gun. Craig, I, I didn't mean to shoot you.
7: It was an accident in the struggle for the gun. Craig, don't shoot me.
8: Tit for tat. In a minute I'm going to pass out. I don't want you on the loose when I do. Tit for tat in the leg. Just enough to make you say put. Craig, no. Torch. Yes, Craig. Call police headquarters. Rogers. Lieutenant Trav Rogers. Wake up from a long sleep, and there's the same face in front of like a pin-up on a wall. Don't look now, Craig, but you're back in Shore Park Hospital.
7: Emergency.
8: What's my medical complaint this time?
7: Bullet in your left thigh. You'll be out in a week and limp for a month.
8: Oh, great. And now that you're conscious, you want to talk. Eric Carter, masterminded the phony death and burial of Mary Torch, and also planted the time bomb. Uh, one minute, Craig. Yeah? You're forgetting you played the case very close to the vest. That you so far only told me about half of it. Oh, oh. That makes the conclusions I'm giving you a little puzzling. A little incomprehensible. How long did you say I lay over here? A week. Pull up a bed, Trad. Pull up a bed? I got a long story to tell you. As the conscientious officer of the law, I know you want to hear it. Weak as I feel, and long as the story is, I figure it will take about a week to tell. Good night, folks. See you next week.
0: You have been listening to William Gargan in another exciting transcribed mystery drama from the adventures of Barry Craig, Confidential Investigator. That's Case Closed for this week. Hope you enjoyed today's episodes. You can find more from Jeff Regan, Barry Craig... Past episodes of Case Closed, thousands of other old-time radio shows, and everything in Relic Radio at the website relicradio.com. You can also donate through the website if you'd like to help support this and all of the shows your support makes it all happen. Thank you, as always, to those who have helped out. Thanks for joining me today. Be back next Wednesday with another episode of Case Closed.